You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. Guten Tag, and welcome to our XXXXX exclusive behind the scenes tour of Montgomery Video and Mortgage. The magic all happens here, everyone. Please come with me. Alright. First let me uh, unlock the door. We we have extremely high security here at all times. Top top secret, you know. Ah, good morning, Fred Juand. Hello there. That's an excellent choice of pants today, Fred Juand. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. the right amount of tightness. Onward now. You see, here at Montgomery Video and Mortgage, we have our own time-tested process for the restoration of classic cinema. Our methods are unique and 100% organic. Everyone here at Montgomery Video and Mortgage is a member of the Montgomery family and we have protected our family secret for decades. But because we are so proud of the work that we have done on Heavy Metal Parking Lot, I have decided that it is time for the world to see the inner workings of the family business. You will be the first human beings outside of the Montgomery family to see what goes on behind these doors. Oh, how fortune has decided to smile upon you today. Ah, yes. Everyone's here, hard at work as usual. As you can see here, we use our own semen to clean the film. We take ten-foot sections of the reel, place it in a sterile bowl, and, in shifts, our team of restoration experts fills it up with his own supply. The Montgomery family jizz has proven to contain just the right amount of acidity and bleachy goodness. It strips away the dirt and the imperfections, and leaves the color tint just a little brighter than before. Yes, that's good, Toby. You're almost there. And once that's completed, we simply move the bowl to the second phase. Let's make sure everything's in order here. Ah, yes, perfect. On to the next room. After the coating has been applied, we grab each individual piece of the film and Make sure it is evenly covered on all sides. Then we simply need to hang it up so that the rinsing can begin. The rinsing process is rather simple. Why don't you show them how it's done, Douglas? Urine is completely sterile. 
and in our years and years of experience here at Montgomery Video and Mortgage, we have found that nothing purifies bodily fluids like other bodily fluids. Excellent work, Douglas. Drink up. We've got at least 4,000 more feet of Phobos to rinse today. From here, we simply let the film drip dry and then move it into our state-of-the-art reassembling bay where our team cobbles together the newly purified and restored film that audiences have loved so much over the years. This has been the same process we used for Heavy Metal Parking Lot and dozens, if not hundreds, of other classic films that badly needed the restoration process that Montgomery Video can offer them. Thank you so much for joining me on this tour. I hope you now know that the film you have been watching was slathered in only the finest of semen and rinsed clean with only the richest of piss. Like we always say here at MVM, from our penis balls to your eyeballs, nothing puts a bigger smile on your face. Good night, film fans from around the world. I was right about Montgomery Video and Mortgage and their crazy cum factory. Screaming Pods presents, in association with NPR and the Shot on Video Initiative, T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D-M-I-N-I-H-M-P-L, part five of eight. My therapist and I had a very long talk. I've been drinking way too much and it's been affecting my work, not just at T-H-E-S-O-V-P-O-D or Screaming Pods, but it's even been affecting my work on the best podcast ever, Serial. NPR sent me a very strongly worded email. So I had to have a major talk with my therapist and admit myself to a recovery center. But that's okay. I need to let all of you know the reason for my drinking. It was late one night. I was driving home from an interview that I did for my podcast, Serial. You all know it. You love it. I decided to stop by an Arby's because Arby's is fucking delicious. Of course, I ordered myself a smokehouse brisket as well as a side of beef and cheddar with a side of loaded curly fries and a Diet Coke. I was walking back to my car, munching down some loaded curly fries, licking that cheese off my fingers when this man approached me from out of the bushes. I think he was a vagrant 
I'm not sure. He looked at me and he said, Ma'am, I haven't eaten in three days. Can I please have a taste of your loaded curly fries? I said, look, sir, I have been very hard at work interviewing people about serial killers. I don't have time to give you a loaded curly fry. So I gave him a quarter. The man got extremely angry and he grabbed my wrist, knocking the loaded curly fries out of my hands. I did what any good-natured woman would do in this situation. I took out my mace. I sprayed it in his eyes. And I have one of those little things on my keychains to stab. I just fucking stabbed him. I stabbed him. I stabbed him. Stabbed. Stabbed. I just stabbed him. He fell to the ground, limp, blood pouring out of his body. Coming real. It's the next episode. Hold up. Let's do it. Let's hit the next minute. Bajor, <laughs> you know you got your choice. Hey, Say something. It's your mama. Who are you here to see tonight? Your mother. Some of you have to leave your girlfriends at home or something. You know that? How come? How come? They don't like priests. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. Why do you think they don't like Steph, I only have one thing to say right here. What? Okay. I love your mom jokes. Your mother fucking, your mom's hair so short, she fucking, she take a shower and get brainwashed. <laughs> your mother be having old gold icy stashed in the freezer. <laughs> your mom's so short, she bought for trophies. Your mom's got three teeth, one in her mouth and two in her pocket. Oh shit! Oh shit! Your mom's hair so short when she get cold braids, they like stitches. Oh shit! I fuck. Okay. Yeah. I, I love it. Wait, jokes my mom makes? Oh no, I'm. <laughs> Your mom. Cause she makes like libra- librarian jokes. Some people like librarian jokes. Librarian jokes are good. What do you have? What's your favorite librarian joke? Well, no, it's not jokes about librarian. It's just the style of jokes librarians tell you. What did one book say to the other? I don't know. What did one book say to the other? I just wanted to see if we are on the same page. That's funny. Okay, so what should you do if your dog starts to eat your library book? I don't know. What should you do? Take the words right out of their mouth. Where you kind of like smile and give them like a little giggle. So they'll smile back at you. And then you take your books and you walk away. Kind of oh, thing. it's not like, what's a librarian's favorite soda? Uh, Mountain Dewey Decimal. No, it's not like that. Uh, uh, you get it. This guy gets it. No, not quite. But I feel like that one would go over during the book fair. <laughs>
<laughs> no, I, I love when they they ask the kid like, who you know who'd you come here to see? And he's like, your mom, mom, your, mom. <laughs> your mother, your mother. Uh, I I do want to point out that your mom jokes go back far further than uh, just our days on the playground. You know, I I think about you know who just had a birthday, William Shakespeare. And I think uh, he, you know, he was a purveyor of your mama jokes. And one of my favorite ones from, uh, it's from Titus Andronicus, where uh, uh, the, the twins, Demetrius and Chiron, they're like, what have you done to our mother? And then, uh, and then Aaron the Moor's like, villain, I have done thy mother. And I'm like, yeah, dude. The Empress sends it thee, thy stamp, thy seal, and bids thee christen it with thy dagger's point. Zooms, you whore. Is black so base a hue? Sweet blouse, you are beauteous blossom, sure. Villain, what hast thou done? That which thou canst not undo. Thou hast undone our mother. Villain, I have done thy mother. That's what's up. <laughs> that's villain as hell, man. <laughs> that's, that's mad villainy. What do you got from this minute? Because there's some great sexist shit in this minute that I, I want to ask you about sexist shit yeah man i was mostly focused on how the your mother kids looked like they were like 70s uh california skater kids and the way he delivered your mother i think is the first time he said it to anyone who wasn't one of his friends in like his basement (laughs) he had like that pride of telling a random adult your mother (laughs) oh my god I saw this uh, episode. Oh, this counts because Cops is uh, filmed on video. So I saw this episode of Cops once. I think it was Cops Boston. I, in fact, I know it was Cops Boston because of the accents. But there's little kids like sitting out on the, the the curb. And then, you know, the cops pull up and they start talking to the kid. And they're like, hey, son, you know, like, what are you doing outside here on the curb? And then uh, he's like, my mom kicked me out. And they're like, oh, man, what happened? It's, it's like a little kid, like eight years old. And then the kid goes, Aww. my mom's a fag. And then they're like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, oh, well, why'd she kick you out? And he goes, cause she's a fag. And then they're like, they're like, is your mom inside? He's like, yeah, she's a fag. Like it just kept going. But I, and you sound like you're from Minnesota and not Boston. <laughs> Maybe I don't know where, where Boston is. I don't know. Boston's the, um. The uh uh that's the 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 Matt Damon Ben Affleck one, right? Mm-hmm. All right, good. See, good on me. Uh, no, I want to ask you about um the the dudes who are asked where their girlfriends are, and they're like, our girlfriends. Oh yeah, the pussies. <laughs> yes. So they're like, our girlfriends aren't here because they're stupid pussies, uh, and they don't like Judas Priest. And then you hear a dude go, uh, they are pussies, man. They are pussies. Do you? It's like you just. <laughs> do you self-identify through any body parts? I sure don't. There you go. So that guy was wrong, um, but he is a dick. Ironically. Um. Um. I don't know. I feel like you're kind of making some assumptions here. Of of him. Yeah. Why you think? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, you're right. I I should not. Wink. I should not make that assumption. That uh, yes, correct. Um, so here's, here's something I want to say. I want to say that, uh, Steven Spielberg makes a cameo in a, uh, 
in a great long shot where the documentarians are going down the line, you see Spielberg give a big thumbs up. It was very cool of him to, to show up and uh, support uh, his favorite band. We also see rock horns, middle fingers, fists pumping, and it got me thinking about American Sign Language and how many people in uh, this great nation, or we're trying to make it great again, uh, use American Sign Language. And I found out that it's a quarter million to a half a million people. That seems like a very big spread. What do, how do you feel about that? That it's either a quarter million or half a million that use ASL. The story of American Sign Language. The roots of American Sign Language, or ASL, go back hundreds of years, to a time before America was even a nation, to a tiny island off the coast of Massachusetts called Martha's Vineyard. Some of the colonists from England who settled there at the end of the 17th century were deaf and carried a gene for deafness. By the mid-19th century, there was a large deaf population on the island, and they all spoke sign language. It had developed organically through natural socializing, and most of the hearing people there spoke it too. It isn't there anymore. The deaf Martha's Vineyard residents started to leave the island in the 1800s to attend the first American School for the Deaf, established in Hartford, Connecticut, in 1817 by Thomas Hopkins Gallaudet. Gallaudet was a preacher who began to research methods for educating the deaf after meeting his neighbor's deaf child. He traveled to England to observe a method of training for speech and lip-reading, but the developers of that system were protective and unwilling to give away their secrets, and turned him away. So he went to France, where he was welcomed to the School for the Deaf in Paris, which used sign as a method of instruction. He convinced Laurent Clerc, a deaf teacher and graduate of the Paris Deaf School, to accompany him back to Hartford, where they founded the American School for the Deaf. The school began with a mixture of sign systems. There were many students who used the Martha's Vineyard sign, and they came together with deaf students from around New England, some of whom had rudimentary gesture systems only used in the home, and some with more developed systems that were used in towns with other deaf people. In school, they were exposed to each other, to Parisian sign language, and to a method for visually representing some aspects of English. An ASL was born out of the mix. Today, ASL is much closer to French Sign Language than it is to British Sign Language, which has no historical connection to ASL. Over the course of the 19th century, deaf schools opened all over the U.S., and many graduates of the Hartford School took their signing with them to careers as teachers and principals across the country. ASL became the language of the American deaf, deepening and expanding over generations of use. That process hit a roadblock in the 1880s when proponents of oral education, including Alexander Graham Bell, convinced many schools to discourage sign language in favor of speech training. Suddenly, students were forbidden from signing, punished by having their hands tied behind their backs. They spent hours learning to mimic mouth shapes to produce vowels and consonants, hours they had once spent learning math, history, and literature. But ASL lived on in the shadows and under the tables. It wasn't until a century later that attitudes toward ASL began to change back. Research began to show the benefit of having a full, easily acquired language as early as possible, and the harm of not having one, which happened to many deaf kids who could never manage to acquire speech. Deaf people became politically empowered and advocated for giving ASL the respect it deserved and had earned through more than two centuries of American history. How, how can we document that further? Should we add it to the census? I think we should. And I think we need to increase that number. I think 
we it would give us yet another great common language if we all start learning sign language. So let's get those numbers up, people. Hustle. Yep, get them up. Uh, I also want to point out business card guy, the dude who holds his business card up to the camera. We need a Blu-ray. I can't, I can't read that dude's credentials. I don't know what the fuck is going on with him. Do you think he was kind of a time traveler and he knew that there would be high definition eventually? And he's like, this is going to pay off in about 20 years or so. I mean, probably. Right? Yeah. Like, do you think he stayed at that same office and that same phone number no matter, even if he wanted to move? Because he said, no, I have that chance. This feels like it's going to be something. And this feels like it's going to be like a great ad. And people are going to say, wow, what the forethought this, that guy had. Like when Bruce, So he yes. just stayed in the same place. Yes, like when Bruce Willis tells Madeline Stowe to call that number, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then they get in, mm-hmm. in 12 Monkeys, and then they... Yep. And then they get the, the message in the future, and then that's how they knew to send him back. Like, yeah, you could create all, all kinds of a paradoxical events. Absolutely. Business card guy, Okay. I I do have the DVD. I did convert it to VHS, of course, but I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater quite yet. I'll see if I can get that information. I'll see if I can call him and see if he really followed through on Wait, what are you doing to babies in bathwater? Yeah, I don't need... It's okay. All right. They're fine. Hit play for uh, minutes eight to nine. Like that, we try to be civilized, but we can't. So what? What? What is this? Well, we're with MTV. Bullshit. So you, you guys—it looks like—is this like where the band hangs out, or is that why you guys are over here? Yeah. Have you seen anybody? Have you seen anybody look like a rock star or anything? We're looking. How come? Why was she all messed up? She had her hair all loosed up. All right. What's your philosophy on life? No, it's me. Oh. It sucks shit. Heavy metal rule. Heavy metal rule. So, look, this is this is kind of fast because we just get more shots going down the line, more observations that you you, you, you can or can't make necessarily about uh, American Sign Language and perhaps how we would all benefit from uh, nonverbal communication. But um, I do want to point out that uh, most of these people at this show and on screen so far are uh, of the Caucasian persuasion, not that they were persuaded to become Caucasian, and but many of them were persuaded to become cocks at, at some point. But uh, we do have uh, on screen for one of uh, the, the first moments in the film, we do have a young uh, black guy who's about to say something, and then what happens, Stephanie? A white girl jumps up in front of him to say something, and then a white guy jumps in front of him to say some bullshit he thinks is clever, but isn't. Right. And they both just jump in front of him when he's clearly about to speak. Um, but he's just cool about it. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite moments where he just takes a step towards the camera once they shut up. He's like, what are you filming this for? And they're like, we're with MTV. Say, we're with MTV. 
Bullshit. Bullshit. I love it. Fucking. He sees right through it. See, everything, everyone else, I think, fell for the camcorder thing, but he, he was looking at the quality of that. He's like, that is not, that is not MTV. (laughs) Not MTV. We also get, uh, the, the tail end of, uh, this, this minute, we get introduced to some of the, the star fuckers, the, the people that are hanging out by the, uh, the tour buses waiting for, uh, a priest or Dokken to, uh, to arrive. The lot lizards. And they. The vultures. (laughs) The Velcro vultures. Ooh, I just made that up. I love it. I love it. Uh, they, yeah. Anyway, so let's let's talk about them for for just a quick second because the only thing I took away from that is, uh, they love pantomiming moose hair. Like they think moosey hair is the funniest shit on uh, planet Earth. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea what the reruns for Happy Days were like in 1986? Because maybe that was what they were getting it from. Like, oh, look for the fonts. Hey, check this out. Oh, no, I, I, I imagine they were they were very, uh, very strong because, you know, the, the Happy Days uh, show kind of concludes its long run and the spinoffs are all kind of concluding their run just before this uh this documentary so like Joni loves chachi is still in uh the the back of the public's mind charles in charge is on cbs at this point uh and uh <laughs> of course scott Bayo's not a not a douche nozzle to the uh, american public at that point so yeah i think uh i think everyone was very well versed in uh the fawns and uh goings on uh there all right hit play for minute uh nine to ten hope you're ready for the next episode hey And that's why I drink. So uh, my therapist told me to lay off the alcohol, get sober, uh, but I am substituting weed for my scotch. So we'll see how this works, everybody. This is a global tail link prepaid call from Sarah fucking Koenig. An inmate at a Maryland correctional facility. Mm-hmm.